It's the Ringer NFL Show. Robert Mays here with Kevin Clark. Kevin, the holidays are fast approaching, and what better gift to give than tickets to a live NFL game? It's a good idea, but buying tickets to a game can be complicated and expensive. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be if you use SeatGeek. They have great prices on tickets, and you can buy and sell with just two taps. Great. I'll grab you some tickets to see John Fox coaching those Bears up in person. Yeah, that makes one of us, pal. I have no interest in seeing anything about the Bears up close in person. But for people who do still want to watch their team play live down the stretch, SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. SeatGeek has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. Plus, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code, and a promo code RINGERNFL. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNFL today. We're also brought to you by Gamefly. It's the best way to buy and rent all your favorite video games. The worst part about playing video games is having to leave your house to get new games, but Gamefly mails you your favorite games directly to your door. I do not leave the house for anything anymore, so that's very good to hear. Go to Gamefly.com slash Ringer and start your free premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies at a time. You can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash Ringer. Go sign up and start playing all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days. Thanks to Gamefly for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Ten weeks of NFL football behind us, and luckily for us, buddy, one more Miami Dolphins primetime game to dig into here. Well, we have three weeks of action and then another Miami Dolphins primetime game on a Monday (laughs) night against the Patriots. The worst part is that it's been Thursday night and Monday night, which is we have to we always start the show talking about those games. So we just we would have to purposely avoid it if we didn't want to talk about it. Talking a lot of Dolphins football. What is there to say? Like, this is just not a good football team. I thought it was funny. Six interceptions yesterday. I did a thing for the ringer.com about the most fun and least fun teams to appear on red zone. And obviously the Dolphins were last. But the Dolphins are third and fourth in red zone efficiency, despite punting more than any other team, despite basically being 31st in efficiency per drive. And the reason is because they never actually get to the red zone. And when they do, it's like, who cares? Or it's probably in garbage time. (laughs) <laughs> and they're literally the football version of the, you know, the guy pointing to the head meme. Like you, you literally that it's, you can't screw up in the red zone. If you never get to the red zone, that's, that seems to be their philosophy. It's a really good philosophy. It seems to be working out just perfectly for them. We'll talk about the Panthers a little bit further down the show here. Uh, just as we dig into the NFC playoff race, we've got a lot to cover today. The ringers, Roger Sherman will be here to play a little good idea, bad idea with some interesting decisions <laughs> and outcomes from the weekend. But before we do that, let's get to our four downs, our four biggest stories of the weekend. And Kevin will begin today in the place where you live, Los Angeles, California. No huddle got back to pass from his end zone straight down the middle of the field. He's got a man wide open. Robert Woods catches it at the 45. No one will catch him. Robert Woods with a 94-yard touchdown from Jared Goff. And the Rams extend their lead on the Texans. 
So Jared Goff with another impressive outing Sunday. The Rams rolled the Texans. He threw three more touchdowns. He's got 16 on the year. He's also leading the league in yards per attempt at 8.49. He wasn't technically dead last last year with his gentlemanly 5.3 because he didn't play enough. But that's the only reason that he wasn't that bad. If you told me that one person went from 5.3 yards per attempt to 8.5, I would accuse that player of of throwing games. Yeah, I, I mean, he like, has that's to the be. only explanation. But there is a very logical explanation. Do you know what it is, Robert? Huh. He played for Jeff Fisher. Yeah, that, we'll get the into throw, that a little bit. The throwing first games here, of NFL coaches. We want to talk about a few NFC teams that are just good in some very bizarre ways. And that includes Jared Goff now being a very reasonable NFL quarterback. But it also includes the Saints and the Vikings, which I wrote about a little bit on Monday. So, Kevin, of these three kind of bizarro NFC contenders... Which is the weirdest version of the team for you? Which is the with one thing where if you could have predicted before the year, this would have been the farthest from reality. Case Keenum leading a top 10 offense, Jared Goff leading the league in yards per attempt, or the Saints defense being really good at running the ball all over people? Well, I, I saw a stat that I found interesting yesterday. Mike Rodak, VSPN. Saints ran the ball in 24 consecutive plays against Buffalo. That has not happened in an NFL game since 1989. I don't That's know. Amazing. I don't know what to think about the Saints because right now, I mean, if, if you were to, and this red zone thing is a good example, the story I wrote on Tuesday. So if you were informed before the season that the Saints were going to be seven and two rolling, beating a pretty good Bills team by what, 40 points, you would say that's the most exciting team in the league. But that's it. The Breeze is throwing the ball over the place. It's like 2009, 2010, 2012, all that. Breeze is throwing the ball over the place. It looks like, you know, it looks like old times. That's not what this is. And it's almost, it's impressive that, and 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 I'm not going to sit here and say that, that Breeze, you know, reinvented himself or anything, but he is averaging 40 yards a game less than he was last year. Obviously passing the ball less. He's, he's not, the he's not uh, the entire focal point of the offense. He still is. It's not like he, he's not Peyton Manning in 2015 here. Okay, but he is he is taking you know a a reduced role in a way. And I think that that's the most stunning thing to me. If you were to tell me the Vikings were good, I mean, I after the first couple of weeks of the season, we saw that Case Keenum was at least going to be able to get the ball to his targets. His, his two receivers, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, lead the NFL in deep receptions. And that's a testament to a Keenan, but B just those guys are freaking good. And so I, all three of these, I didn't expect, but the one I just didn't expect just analyzing it now is just the saints as ground and pound. It's incredible. So right now, where do you think Drew Brees ranks in pass attempts in the NFL? Not high enough. He's 10th. There we go. And that's just bizarre. If you look at the all-time passing attempts leaderboard, like for a single season, in the top 16, he's on there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Like, it, that's what they did. They threw it more than anyone else in the league. And to have gone so far in the other direction, and it's not like they're, this happens every week. I think we touched on this a little bit on Friday's show, just that Buffalo's run defense was the worst part of what they did, and the Saints are running the ball so well. Why not run it 30 times? And they did. 
But just to see them be willing to embrace that approach against anyone is impressive. And the fact that it's working so well, I mean, they're really getting what they want done on the ground. And it's one thing to try to reinvent yourself on the fly. It's another to do it so well, to do it just so thoroughly and effectively. And that's what's kind of blown me out of the water. I mean, they're third in rushing DVOA right now. And that is really impressive. As far as Drew Brees' passing attempts go, Drew Brees has five of the top eight single-season passing yard marks in NFL yes. history. No one else appears twice in that, in that top eight. And he's there five times. He's, you know what he's like? He's like one of these um, like old-time like lead singers of a band and everybody else just leaves the band and he just gets too much power and he gets to do whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I absolutely know what you're saying. I'm trying to think of the best example of that. A guy just like that hung on at the, at the front and no one else is the same. Yeah, they just they just replaced everybody. Yeah, that happens all the time. I just can't think of a good example. Uh, you're totally right. And, and I think that there's a chance they only get better. And the, like on Sunday, so you had Teron Armstead back at left tackle. Larry Warfer is back at guard. That hasn't happened for many games this season. Armstead's either been hurt. Or Warford's been hurt for a couple games. I mean, this offensive line, everyone I've talked to, takes about a year to understand the guys you're playing with. And they have two new starters this year. So it just feels like this is going to coalesce even more over the rest of the season. I mean, like, there's a chance that the Saints only get better for the rest of the year. And the way they look right now, that's a terrifying prospect. And now here's my question. Is Sean Payton the best coach in this batch? That's a really good question. The answer to that is probably yes over the course of like the body of their body of work. But I think that what Sean McVay has done this year is more impressive. Yeah. So I want to I do want to talk about the Vikings very quickly and then the Rams a little bit also. But the Vikings, I wrote about them on Monday just kind of as the ultimate example of this, because if you were thinking about how Minnesota would have been good this year, it would have been similar to this conversation we have about the Saints, right? They've been really good on defense because think about just the talent they have on that side of the ball. That's where they're good. That's where they've spent and hit. And then you'd say, okay, you know, if Bradford can stay healthy, if their line gets a little bit better, if Dalvin Cook is like the centerpiece of what they do. Bradford hasn't finished a game since week one. Dalvin Cook hasn't played since week four. And this is like one of the best five or six passing offenses in the league right now. None of it makes any sense. They only have two guys and they have one starter on their team that was a homegrown first round pick on offense. And it's Laquan Treadwell who's caught 13 passes in his career. Yep. The first round picks they made on that side of the ball, or let's say the top 40 picks. Dalvin Cook, Sam Bradford, de facto, because they traded for him. Matt Khalil and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. None of those have worked out at all. And somehow they have this offense that continues to roll with Case Keenum, an undrafted free agent and a guy they picked in the fifth round. It's just amazing they've been able to sustain this level of production with all of just the hard luck stuff that's happened to them over the last 18 months. I just can't believe, and I don't want to keep harking harking back to this red zone thing, but it's a good indication of sort of where you are as a team that can make big plays, make good plays, be efficient, especially in in, within 20, 20, 30 yards of the end zone. And when I was sort of doing the ranking, I had the, the Vikings obviously in the top 10. But, I mean, think about what would have happened if they had Dalvin Cook, if they had not just Teddy Bridgewater, but if they even had Sam Bradford right now, I mean, would they be number one? Would, would they be tied for the Chiefs at number one? And that's kind of the question now about Brad about Bridgewater, right? 
we talked about it last week a little bit. I wrote about it. You have to kind of think, or maybe the thinking should be, oh, we're doing so well with Case Keenan. Let's just roll with it. Maybe it's there is some meat on the bone still. Should we figure out a way to make this offense even better? And based on reports, it seems like they are thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Jay Glazer said on Sunday night, even after Keenum threw for whatever and you know three more touchdowns and everything else, they're still considering going to Bridgewater, which lets you know that they do believe there's another notch to this. And considering they're a top 10 offense, that's incredible. Like the idea that the Vikings want more out of their offense that's scoring 24 points a game and is like eighth in DVOA is just bonkers. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it just it worries me rushing anybody back from injury in the middle of a I totally championship agree. chase. I totally agree. Always gives me pause. Do you think they can win the Super Bowl with Case Keenum? No, but I'd also I also don't think they so can either. win the Super Bowl with, with Teddy Bridgewater. That's fair. Teddy Bridgewater that, that's in 2017, 2018 is a different, is a different animal. But I mean, it's no, just I get where you're coming from. Yeah. And you know, I remember not to harken back to basketball here, but you know, when the magic made the 2009 finals, Jameer Nelson, who was the leader of the team, who was the most popular player in Orlando, significantly more popular than Dwight Howard. I might add, we were on the right side of history very early on that one <laughs> and he tore his labrum in january and everybody was like oh man we wish jameer was a part of this and then we made the finals jameer was able to rush back to health like no one thought it was possibly practiced and then stan van gundy gave him not starters minutes but just below you know basically as soon as he could be subbed in he was subbed in and in the game and and, and he Probably cost us a couple games in the series. I mean, and, and so you think and, Rafer Alston is the reason you guys would have won the finals in no, 2005? No, Rafer Alston was the reason we made it because we, it was almost like a Bortles thing. We played with him just existing, <laughs> point guardless basketball. Yeah, and then we let Hito and Rashard <laughs> carry the ball, and they were two 6'11 guys who could shoot threes. Yeah, my we favorite invented, thing about that Magic team was that they gave that up. They decided that having Vince Carter was more important than this ridiculous well, Hito, matchup advantage. Listen, man, if you're, if you're, if we're going down the 2009 magic offseason wormhole, the rest of the podcast is canceled because it was I, just a terrible I, this, this, series no, of this events. Is gonna be a, this is going to be like a 40 minute debate. So we got to pull ourselves out of here. <laughs> I wanted to talk one more thing before we move on. And that's just the way that the Rams have kind of devised this offense. My favorite play of the weekend was that Robert Woods touchdown <laughs> where they faked. It was a play action pass. They had Woods go in that orb motion, faking a, like an end around. But instead of going behind Goff, he ran back the other way for like this little dump off where he essentially walked into the end zone. And it's just like, this is what they do every week. They have three or four of these that are just insanely drawn up, but it's all based around play action. And this just isn't an accident anymore. If I read you the first five guys in percentage of their throws that are play action this year, there is a theme among these players. Deshaun Watson, Case Keenum. Let's ignore the Trevor Simeon is there. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Okay. Four of those five guys, what are they? They are young. Case Keenum isn't young, but they are quarterbacks outperforming what their expectations were coming into the season. This is not an accident anymore. Start running play action passes more. They work. Yeah. I mean, it, it slows the defense down. You know, we talk so much about how the modern defense has changed because everything is so quick that you need a a a gap pressure, how you have to get the ball out in, you know, 2.2 seconds or else they're going to be mauled because there's just athletes everywhere. And and that's, that's such a, um, a guidepost to the rest of the NFL. The fact that you have to do the quick passing, but how do you stay back with the modern offensive lines 
with the modern NFL defensive athletes. How do you stay back there, give time, give routes time to develop and and still complete the pass? You do it with play action. What's well, also it's about it creates space. Yeah. In the NFL game where the hashes are further out and you're still and you're wondering about how you're going to manipulate the field horizontally. One good way to do that is by pulling linebackers up and being able to use the middle of the field. Yep. You're creating space for yourself and inherently by play design and just more teams do, teams do not do that enough. Like watching Carolina yesterday and all the big hits they had off play action cams like third to last in the league. Why? <laughs> like, that's what they used to do so well. I just don't understand why teams abandon it. And like the watching the Raiders struggle as much as they have. They're right down near the bottom. Like this stuff is easy to trace, man. I, I, I just don't get it. I, I listen if we're going to get into why play callers are the way they are that's a separate episode have you seen <laughs> have you fair. seen the offensive coordinators around the NFL let's you know what let's talk about some of that let's, let's talk about it. coaching in general and we're going to do that on second down here as we look at a little bit past the division leaders in the NFC and chat about the wild card race a little bit that starts with Dallas and Atlanta from this week yep Kevin, do we have a reason that Jason Garrett did not seem to think Chaz Green needed some help over on that side rather than let him play most of the game and get roasted and then put Byron Bell in for 10 snaps? That seemed to be his solution. I want to say that I enjoyed Troy Aikman saying that Chaz Green maybe was the worst player he's ever seen. It was bad. He said it was in all of his years of football, which implied like all levels of football. So Aikman's seen a lot of football. <laughs> That's so true. How many youth games do you think Aikman's watched? Uh, like, he nah, went worse. to two colleges. <laughs> he played a full high school career, presumably. And Chaz Green was 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 the pinnacle. Oh, that's really great. And I, you know what? I don't blame him after watching that game. So Jason Garrett, I, I just don't understand what he's doing. So this is the important thing. And I feel like the fact that they're in the same division is a good point of comparison. The Eagles also lost their all-world left tackle. Yep. It's not as if they're replacing him with some stud. Like, Vitae, is, is, he, he's fine. He's acquitted himself just fine. They've done a good job of helping their left tackle by lining up tight ends over there, using backs to chip. Every single way you can help a guy who's outmanned against a really good pass rusher. And here's the thing, man. It's not like Adrian Claiborne is 2004 Julius Peppers. He came into that game with 22 sacks in his career. Did you see what he said? Yes, I have one move. <laughs> yeah, I have one move and I used it. <laughs> we'll get to Adrian Craigborn a little bit. I, I don't think I can go any other direction for my ringer of the week. But this is just one of those things where you watch that happen to Dallas. And we talk about Ezekiel Elliott not playing and what that does to their chances. But then you start to realize if this support system that Dak Prescott has starts to slowly get chipped away. It doesn't matter how good Dak is over the second half of the season. You can't just, that's not viable. You can't sustain offense if that's how you're going to treat your left tackle against a guy who weighs 280 pounds and is not a pass rusher. Like that is a significant problem. Yeah, that's a significant problem. I mean, does this game change your opinion of the Cowboys ceiling without Zeke? I changed my opinion of the Cowboys ceiling without Teron Smith. <laughs> right. 
I mean, it's like he's more important at this point because that's what they do. They just went into the game and were just like, well, we'll just do what we normally do. Like we leave our left tackle one on one against everybody. That's just how this works. Are we putting like, Tyron Smith in what? the uh, in the Earl Thomas, Aaron Rodgers MVP because we've seen what the team looks with the team looks like without him race? I, theoretically, yes. He's had a, a down season comparatively for him just because he's not healthy. And well, this is I mean, we just injury. saw what happens when somebody else, when a healthy guy who's not him plays. I, I usually I would put Claiborne. him in there this year. I think he's been you know one step down, but for the most part, I would say yes. And if we're looking at the rest of this play, playoff picture in the NFC right now, now if you're Dallas and you start to, if you lose one more, you're in trouble because if Seattle is at sitting at six and three, the Panthers are seven and three now, which eventually you are what your record says you are, especially ten games into a season. What do we think about who's going to get those spots? Do you feel any better about Atlanta? What do you think about Detroit? I mean, it, this is such a crazy playoff picture in the NFC. I don't know what to make of it. Well, if I had to guess, remember we we, we did this in August and we both felt, we both did not feel great about picking the Cowboys to make the playoffs. I Yeah, I I don't think I, did I? I can't remember I did, now. and I said it, it was, was right on the edge. No, 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 I didn't we want both to. Did. We both did, and we both didn't want to. That's fair. We both kind of were like, I guess. So you start looking at it. I mean, is it not? Where do you put the Seahawks right now? I still feel better about them than I do about Dallas. Well, then I mean, it's going to be Se- Seahawks, Panthers, and they may run away with it. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's going that way. If the, if Dallas is going to look like that against not great Falcons defense, if Smith is hurt for a while, Elliott's going to be out for the you know those six games he's suspended for. It just starts to feel like the Cowboys just aren't the team that, even with some regression, they could have been this year. Yeah, I just, I kind of see it. I know it's a little chalky, but I just see the two teams that that have more than five wins at this point running away with it. I mean, I just don't. I mean, the Packers obviously are not going to do it. Yeah, Detroit looks fun sometimes, but I still don't feel great about them. God, I just don't feel good about Carolina either, but they just keep winning. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's not exciting. I, I don't feel like we're having a good time by picking that, but I, there is this year. There, I don't see this kind of like gathering storm on the back end of the NFL NFC playoff picture like I did with Atlanta last year. No. Like I guess the Saints would be that team. Like this, all right, this is the team that like is really coming together as a scary contender. And it's the same kind of deal with Atlanta last year, right? Like who the hell is going to want to go into New Orleans and play in a way playoff game? Like if, if somebody knocks off Philly, something like that, and they get to host the NFC championship game, that is a tough road. Yeah, but I mean, I think the premise of the of the question there, I mean, I don't know who's going into Philly and knocking them off. I just don't That's see a, a lot point. of talent it's, in the it's NFC. It's what happened with Dallas last uh, year. No, I understand that. But, I mean, I just think that there's no Aaron Rodgers this year. There isn't that Aaron Rodgers magic bullet to take down the best team in the conference. You're right. Uh, I mean, that's that's very true. The way you go on the road and get upsets is you have either incredible luck or you have just a transcendent player. And, obviously, the luck you can't gauge. But I'm not seeing a lot of transcendent players here in the NFC right now. If there's a Russell Wilson crazy game, like that's like I think the one thing where you, where you could say, oh, I could see it happening. Right. Like Seattle has the firepower to do it on the right day, which is that we never <laughs> seem to know which Seattle team we're going to get on that given day. I just I, I, I do you know that the Seahawks 
have given the second most first downs by penalty in the entire NFL. That's fun. It's, it's a good way that to be. That must be I mean, such are, a frustrating team to root for. That airs. I was thinking that on Monday. I was, I, that's the last two times I've watched the Seahawks I've said that. We were talking, now, I was now talking we to a couple different Seahawks people. Twitter is, is, is the way they are. Just a lot Whatever, of talent. Man. They're good every year. I'm not going to listen to them complain. I, I watched just my coach give away a touchdown with on just Sunday. inexplicable holes and like, like offensive line and the ability to give teams first downs via penalty all the time. Yeah, but they're still good. Like, the, like we need to not lose sight of the this. Bears, the, the Bears do all good. this stuff without the good part. Yes, and a lot of teams do all this maddening stuff without the good part. So I'm Bears. not going to sit here and cry for Seahawks fans who are in the playoffs every year and have played the Super Bowl twice. Like, it, Sorry, guys. I, I don't feel bad for you. I feel, I feel a little bad for them. All right, let's move on to third down. Third down and four at the Broncos six. Brady to throw from the gun. Sets, throws. White with a catch at the one, and he takes it into the end zone for the touchdown. Six yards from Brady to White, and the Patriots have opened it up. Now leading 40 to 16. The Patriots just go in and crush the Broncos. I mean, beat them up pretty terribly and kind of let us know the Broncos are going a certain direction for the rest of the year. And then the Steelers barely eke one out against the Colts. So, Kevin, would you say this is more of just the old road Steelers woes that we've seen in years past or the Patriots looking like they're starting to look like the team to beat in the AFC? I just don't understand why the Steelers have these road woes. It's happening every year. It happens. Every the year, has I mean, the not has the red zone play calling is, is ridiculous. The ability, I just don't know why they can't go on the road and just stomp on teams throats. What's going on like, here? And, 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 and you can see the individual, you know, the, the Antonio Brown. I mean, you can see the individual talent that they have. That comes out, but it just seems like they don't want to do anything until like the fourth quarter. I also just think that Roethlisberger doesn't have it right now. I mean, he looks awful again on Sunday. I mean, the first drive, he throws that ball to Martavis Bryant. It's like, why are you giving away possessions against the Colts? Like, why is this happening? There's just no reason to do that. I understand it's the first corner taking a shot, but they're just playing a frustrating brand of football right now. And I know that they have this formula that's kind of working for them. The defense was excellent again on Sunday. I mean, Hayward only had, I don't even think he had a sack, but every single time I turned around, he was in the backfield. Two, it did have a sack, a couple more hits. I mean, they have some monster talent on their, in their front seven. And I think that that's really how they're playing and winning right now. But you start to worry about teams that win that ugly brand of football. And I don't like that when you're playing against teams that have a lot of different ways to beat you, because if that formula isn't working, then what are you going to do? And I feel like with new England right now, and you see, saw it again on Sunday, Burkhead's back. They're throwing all these, they're throwing passes to him. They're doing all these different things. Formationally. It's like, I just feel like new England is going to come together as this team that can beat you in so many different ways. And if the Steelers have this one defined way that they're going to be a potent at AFC contender, I just feel like there's more ways that can go wrong. So I think the biggest problem when you're winning ugly is that you win ugly by necessity. You don't need to win ugly. If you have Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Oh, hey, Martavis Bryant got involved, by the way, on Sunday. Did a little touchdown. Yeah, uh, that was fun. And they threw, and they, yeah, and they threw him a deep ball that was t- underthrown by 10 yards and was right. intercepted, which is uh, good. They have Juju. They have a, a good offensive line. So you don't need to win ugly. Other teams have to win ugly. The, the Steelers should be putting up 35 points a game. 
Yeah. I just, I don't know. I like the defense so much, and I think that they have, they're really able to overwhelm teams. Up I, I, I just don't think, I mean, we like, we both like Todd Haley. Why is this team 19th in points in the NFL? I just think that Roethlisberger's had a really shitty year. <laughs> he was really bad again on Sunday. I just feel like but that can is their biggest also, issue. I mean, I their just quarterback play is bad. I don't understand why, why not? I mean, Brown and Bell both can operate really well within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. That's not how Roethlisberger plays. I, no, 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 no. I understand that. Why, I, I, we just discussed that Roethlisberger is bad now. So why doesn't someone say, Roethlisberger, you're bad now. Please, please pass the ball eight yards down the field. That would be great. Thank you. It's a great question. I mean, you're kind of taking away a, a huge element of your offense that involves Martavis well, Bryant, I, but no, maybe that's but the that, answer that, right that, now. That, that's done. We're done with that. We, we, it's over. We already saw, we saw what happened. I'm just so frustrated. They used to be so fun. I would rather <laughs> now I hate watching I, them. I would rather watch I would rather watch a dink and dunk Roethlisberger offense. You just get the ball in the hand of your skill position guys than what you just described, which is Martavis Bryant being overthrown uh, underthrown by 10 yards. I think this is a really telling stat is that Roethlisberger is fifth in the league in average air yards per pass is 9.9. He's not fifth in the league when it comes to average completions. He's about 16th. Yep. So his average pass length is 9.9 yards. His average pass length of completions is 6.7, which is kind of terrifying when you're throwing the ball that deep. So he's 14th in average completions and 5th in average pass distance. That's the biggest discrepancy call in the that, league by a while. We call that the Rex Grossman. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's kind of where we are right now. <laughs> like He has developed into a Rex Grossman-esque figure this year, and that is problematic for a team that wanted to be this dynamic on offense. Could you imagine any walk of life being described as a Rex Grossman-esque figure? I probably have been described that way. <laughs> in some like, areas you came of my into world. the ringer office and were like, Mays, you really took a turn towards a Rex Grossman-esque figure this year. How would you feel about that? I would quit. <laughs> I, yeah. would, I would never step foot in that office again. I would send Bill a very sternly worded letter and I would apologize. For taking a turn towards Grossman? Yes. <laughs> I would be very embarrassed about that being the turn I took. So I want to say one more thing about the about New England before we move on here. It just feels like if the Patriots aren't going to be that great on defense, they're going to be fine. There's a chance this is just one of those more vintage Patriot seasons where they beat you in these annoying ass ways that just drives you nuts. Like the fact that they returned a kickoff for a touchdown and then blocked a punt with nominally their two starting running backs is the most annoying Patriots bullshit ever. But it just seems like that's what they're going to be, especially against a watered down league. It's they're going to find these ways to beat you. They're going to be a top seven team in special teams. Again, Brady's going to throw for 6,000 yards or whatever he's on pace for this year. And they're going to find a way to eventually become the best team in the conference. So they're no it just longer, feels like we're cruising toward that. They're no longer giving up even 20 points a game. Yeah, that helps. They've moved on. <laughs> on, we're, we're on to competent defense we're on to not being the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL oh. it's just amazing how we sat here and we had no evidence none that the Patriots were going to turn it around on defense except the fact that they were the Patriots well it, what's the best way to predict in, future performance but in no being the Patriots and so in no way, Past Patriots like, performances. in no other walk of life, like we're both pragmatic people and in no other walk of uh, uh, either life or football or whatever, would we just guess and be like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. 
<laughs> it's despite so completely so like what we're seeing, like the eye test, the statistic, statistically, like every single thing pointed to the the Patriots being a tire fire, and we both sat here and we were just like, nah. And it's literally the only thing we would do that with. And, and it's great and analysis, we right. by the way. Oh, no, man. just be like, no, nah. Patriots are gonna be fine, <laughs> and they were. Just is, we, right. we're in year seventeen of Bill Belichick just dunking on people. Yeah, that's very true. It's going to be a really exciting AFC playoffs again. We have to watch them in the Super Bowl. I love covering them. All right, on fourth down, let's talk about just a bizarre game. The, one of the weirdest finishes I've seen in a quite a long time. And this was in the Jags overtime win over the Chargers. Kevin, there are like 10 insane things to unpack from the last three minutes of this game. Uh, number one being Leonard Fournette just apparently wasn't there for it. I just, every choice that Bortles makes is always fascinating to me. One of my favorites is when at the end of that game where they had to get a field goal, he ran for two yards and almost got, got tackled in bounds. You and if he it. had, it probably would have ended the game. That would have been, that would have been an all timer. I, like, it's just throw the ball out of bounds. Like you literally can just chuck it at the sideline when you're that far away. Like just any sort of situational awareness would be amazing. I would love it. And then both picks were just unbelievable i mean the first one he threw he threw it across his body into a group of four people wearing white jerseys and i'm pretty sure every single one of those guys tipped it like that's how close together they were and eventually it gets picked off and then he airmails one to trey boston to have an interception happen the marquise lee taunting penalty when it wasn't a penalty on the other guy and knocking them out of field goal range was just amazing. I mean, Philip Rivers taunting AJ Boye after giving up what was probably the game-winning pick was the most Philip Rivers moment ever. There was everything that happened in that game for 20 straight minutes was amazing, and I'm glad we got to indulge in so, it. So here's what I think happened. Bortles got a team to a winning record by not doing anything, okay? And not touching the ball throwing the ball eight times a game in some some situations, handing it off to Fournette, letting that defense get big turnovers. And then somehow it became communicated to him that he was somehow responsible for this. And he became sort of an irrational confidence guy. And I want to say I'm, I have nothing to do with, with the team. I'm, I'm neutral. I don't, I don't care if they win or lose. I would like them to succeed. I, I am not on that side. I love this. I love this. It's Bortles. It's Bortles just going for it. I want to see. Bo- I want. I, I want to see the run, the run game just phased out. I just want to see Bortles chucking it down the field and get seeing his defense bail him out for the rest of the season. I, I don't want to bring up Rex Grossman again. That is the most fun thing I can possibly imagine. I don't want to bring up Rex Grossman again, but that game had such a definitive mid two thousands Bears feel where the only way they could win is if their defense either scored or put them in a position to score. Like the fact that Tayshawn Gibson pretty much scored that touchdown to essentially win them the game. And then because it didn't happen that way, they needed Boye to bring them down inside the 10 in order to win the game is just a football aesthetic to which I understand so much. 
And it made me, it just warmed my soul. I really appreciated teams having to watch that sort of product on the field. Like, well, if our defense doesn't get us within the 10 yard line, we're totally screwed. It's really fun. I, I miss those days. There's an old, very, very old sitcom formula that every episode should just be the main character getting in hot water for 20 minutes in the last 10 minutes, just getting out of the hot water. That's it. That's every sitcom, right? You mean and like Silicon Valley? <laughs> that is the Jaguars. Like it's just Bortles lets the team hang around for a while, making these crazy mistakes. And then in the last 10 minutes, the defense is like, okay, we, we have this. Don't worry about us. Yeah, that's fine. I, I appreciate that. That it makes total sense. Pretty much where they it's are. The they, I, I almost ranked them number one in my red zone ranking because they're either they they don't appear on our screen unless they're doing something interesting because they don't get to the red zone organically. It's either Leonard Fournette doing something crazy yeah. or the defense taking the exactly, ball away. Exactly, exactly. Or or Blake Bortles just freelancing. There's they're a fun team. That's why I want them to be those, good. You know, like, in baseball I, they have the three true outcomes. Those are the three true <laughs> outcomes in the NFL. It's just <laughs> Fournette, Bortles fucking up, or the defense. That's it. Yeah, that's fair. That's what it is. Yeah, Bortles is definitely the strikeout, and I would say the defense are the home runs. Fournette's just a walk. Fournette's a walk. <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's move on to your craziest headline yeah. of the weekend. What do you got for so us? So typically it's a storyline here, and I just I just tackle a, a big storyline. This one is a specific headline that I found so insanely funny. I wanted to share it. Glover Quinn, fine defensive back for the Detroit Lions. It's really good. I've always liked Glover Quinn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he played the Browns over the weekend. He did. Do you know what his assessment of the Browns was? I, I'm not aware of this, no. He said they're a top 10 talent team in the league, and they probably have better athletes than 25 of the teams in the NFL. He continued, they haven't won a bunch of games, but don't sleep on them. Now, I'm not one of these guys. I don't know what to say. I don't, I'm not one of these guys who like parses quotes. Hey, check this guy out. I'm going to parse this quote for a second. <laughs> um, I, I, think if, I think there are very, very few teams in the NFL in history, maybe the last 30 years, let's say, that you can just officially sleep on. And one of them is the 2017 Cleveland Browns. Who exactly is the talent he's discussing here? I don't know. Miles Garrett played on Sunday. He looked okay. Yeah, no, we got Garrett. He didn't actually didn't play against Garrett because he's on defense. That's fair. I mean, he could watch him from afar. Yeah, that's true. Deshaun Kaiser made some nice throws on Sunday. I mean, he wasn't good overall, Deshaun but there were some Kaiser really has nice more interceptions inside the ten than Deshaun Watson had incompletions inside the ten. And Deshaun Watson had a significant had like double digit attempts inside the ten. Deshaun Kaiser looked the best he has all season, probably on Sunday. So. I mean, hey, the, if uh, you're going to have a game where you think the Browns are better than they are, it was probably the one that was that happened on Sunday. The quarterback sneak was good. I, he, I threw some really, I mean, there was a couple that he puts on the left sideline. The one to Sammy Coates That was, was a gorgeous. joke. Do you know what quarterback sneak I'm talking about? Oh, no, I didn't. I did, I did not see that okay. one. No. The, oh, it was one where they, they snuck from like two yards away. With 15 seconds left in the half with no timeouts left. Gotcha. Okay. Just imagine that. I scenario. did not see that play. And I have they, not watched that game they, again. Shockingly. They couldn't get the snap off. And, oh, the, and they really, went into fun. half. And there was this weird thing. So I got to it late. 
and they kept showing Hugh Jackson and he was upset and they kept showing Jim Caldwell and he was upset because I, I forget what, what the actual thing, there was like some arguments and stuff. And I think generally I couldn't figure out who had made the mistake because it's Caldwell and Jackson. They're both liable to have made some crucial end of half mistake. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff on the table there. Yeah, it, anything could have happened at that point. I mean, what the hell is that? I, I was prepared for any sort of mistake. And we got a great one, which was Hugh Jackson running a quarterback sneak with 15 seconds left. With no timeouts. Hmm. That what, team is fun. What a team. Yeah, sleeping on them. I think they're sleeping on themselves is the problem. They're, I think that's are, the problem with the Browns. They are asleep. All right, it's time for my ringer of the week. Someone who made a big impact. Typically, this is a guy you might not have noticed, but I don't think I could do anyone else but Adrian Claiborne from Sunday. The fact that he got six sacks, its Im- if you get six sacks in a game, saying that that number does not exhibit your dominance in the game sounds ridiculous, but in this case, it kind of does. He could have had eight. Like there were two more plays where he was around the quarterback. He had a bunch of hurries. Mm-hmm. I mean, the degree, to, the degree to which he dominated another NFL player that gets paid to play football, I don't think I've seen it like that in quite a long time. And it was just, he says he only has one move. It's kind of shortchanging himself. I'd say he has two moves. His first move is I weigh two eighty and I'm more like a defensive tackle, so I'm just gonna run you over. That worked several times. It, it was a good move. It, it was his go-to, and I understand why he was doing it. The other was kind of this like overhand swim move that he would do to the outside that really doesn't look like a move at all. Like he was just brushing Chaz Green's hands aside and then running around him, which is a solid counter, I guess, to like a typical bull rush. But it's not pass rushing like four oh five. Like this is like intermediate pass rushing. You would take in ninth grade. So. It, every single level of how he dominated that game was embarrassing for the Cowboys. And I just really enjoyed it. Adrian Claiborne is just a fun type of player that like is never going to have this game because he's not particularly quick or elusive. And that's why it's so weird that he was the guy to do it. Like the fact that 21% of his total sack outcome in his career happened in one night tells you all you need to know. I mean, it's, it's as funny a matchup as I've seen. Like it was I, I mean, hilarious. If Adrian only, Claiborne, I, the only reason I wouldn't say that is because of Dak Prescott's health. Adrian <laughs> Claiborne him a is, times. Just, is, is the definition. I like Adrian Claiborne. I've talked to him a handful of times. The definition of just a guy. Yep. He is a pro. Like Adrian Claiborne is a professional defensive end. That And I've, like, I like his game. I think you can move him inside. He's a stout defender. He is not this guy. And the fact that it was him is just the most perfect outcome in this entire situation. I mean, I just I'm sitting there and like that's sack five. And I was like, Adrian Claiborne is doing this. It makes no sense. It's amazing. Oh, I really enjoyed it. What a league. Uh, good. To have Chaz Green. Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett's working on getting fired. <laughs> this was a really, really bad three hours. Stafford out of the gun. He's got it. Looking right. Throws right. It is caught. Give me a first down. Golden State. Inside the 30. Golden 25. Golden 20. Golden turning on the Jets. To the house. Touchdown Detroit Lions. Oh, baby. 40 yards on the connection. And now we welcome in the ringer's own Danny Kelly. Danny, that touchdown from Matthew Stafford to Golden Tate sealed the win for the Lions over Cleveland. Game we just talked a little bit about. 
Danny, I'd probably say it was a little too close for comfort for the Lions in this one against the Browns, but you seem <laughs> to think that people are sleeping on the Lions a little bit right now. I mean, I think I'm sleeping on the Lions a little bit even. Um, I, they Okay, first of all, their defense was atrocious last year, and I think people probably remember that. <clears throat> but this oh, year they've, they've really improved. <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, this year they've improved a lot. I mean, I think they're they're rushing the passer a little bit better this year. They are defending the pass a lot better. Darius Slay has kind of turned into a shutdown cornerback. They have him shadow guys um, depending on who they're playing. And I don't know. They, they look like a much more balanced team. Matthew Stafford has picked it up over the last few games and looked pretty good. Obviously, they got off to a slow start against the Browns. And like you said, it was probably too close for comfort. But in the end, I mean, they they did put them away and they look like they're kind of, you know, like a potential contender in that division. Now, I, I think that maybe people are sort of looking past them a little bit. I feel like Minnesota looks so good right now that it's going to be hard to catch them if they keep, they keep playing the way they are right now. And they're like, it's not like yeah. they're banged up. They're trending in an upward direction, not a downward one. So I feel like that may be tough. But as we look at the rest of the NFC wildcard, we talked about this a little bit. It just feels like the Panthers are that not underwhelming may not be the right word, but just they, they don't scare you in, in any significant way. And it's not as if they've been rolling over people again. I know they're seven and three or I know they're six and three, whatever, but it just feels like are they seven and three? They're seven and three. I don't, I can I can never remember how many games teams have played. So it just seems like that would be where <laughs> Detroit can probably make this happen. And the lions also feel like they're getting all their guys back now. So the fact that I know Taylor yeah. Decker didn't want to play well on, on Sunday, but you know, Taylor Decker's going to be back at left tackle. feels like the line they've wanted all year is going to be around, which is nice. And they got Galladay back. Theo, the, my favorite play in that game was that Golden Tate, like the Golden Tate long pass. The Theo Riddick absolutely planted Joe Sherbert on. Theo Riddick is like 190 pounds. It's like, oh, good. Theo Riddick's still doing stuff. <laughs> it just feels like that offense has the pieces, but I don't know right now with the way that the NFC playoff picture is kind of shaping up if they're just going to be able to catch the other teams that are going on there. Yeah, no, and, and they're, I think right now they're probably on the outside looking in, but there's a lot of season left in, in, in the sense that some of these teams have seriously brutal schedules down the stretch. And so, um, you know, and they're going to be playing a lot of the, a lot of the contenders right now in that conference are going to be playing each other a few times de- during the stretch run. So I think there's still plenty of time for them to do their thing. They do have to get better in the red zone. I think right now they're, I think before the before the Browns game, they were like 27th in the red zone in terms of touchdowns per red zone trip. So they need to get better about that. We saw them really struggle against the Steelers a couple of weeks ago in that in that regard. So they need to get better at that. They need to kind of find some semblance of a run game, I think. But overall, um, I've been pretty impressed with them. I think, you know, with the way that Matt Stafford has been playing, it gives them a chance. And I think they have really good receivers, obviously. Marvin Jones was quiet this week, but he's been kind of going off over the last month. And then Golden Tate is probably the best run after the catch receiver in the NFL. He just gives them a chance to score on any play, as we saw last week. So um, I think that, you know, they have a chance. They're definitely still in it. It's going to be, I mean, they're right now, they're behind. But I think this last like seven weeks of the season or whatever it is, is going to be chaos. I agree with you, but it's just that every year it seems like we do this with the Lions, right? Like they have this exciting 20 to 20 <laughs> right. passing game. Yeah. They like we like them. Stafford is just kind of a fun player to watch aesthetically at times, even though he's not particularly efficient. Like the Lions are 20th in offensive DVOA after 10 weeks, after nine weeks. They'll yeah. be updated today. 
They're 32nd against rushing the ball, but they're 17th throwing. It's not like they're this really great passing offense that's held back by inability to run the football. Like They look fun at times, but aren't particularly efficient at others. And again, they are absolutely brutal in the red zone. I mean, like, so the places (laughs) where they need to be good, they're not. And it just feels like after a certain point, that's what should matter with Detroit. That's why it's hard for me to get excited about them when I actually see what the numbers and the product in the field looks like. On paper, it's always fun. And then it's just like, okay, like, what are these, what does this team do particularly well? And I don't know what the answer is. Well, you're right in that last couple of years, it seems like they do they do this to you a lot. I, I do think that their defense is significantly better, though, and that's kind yes. of the key. Yeah, their offense is definitely without a run game, and that get, makes them sort of one-dimensional. I think that's a, a reason that they've struggled at times in, in offense, but their defense is really, really good. I think that you know they're they're averaging like 27 points a game, so they're scoring points. I think probably they've gotten some of those points from their defense, too, but yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying that they're the favorites in the NFC North or anything like that, but it does feel a little bit like people are still sleeping on them a bit, just just based on some of the other teams that are getting a lot more attention right now. But here's the thing, Danny. If we're talking about the the Lions, right, and like the fact that their defense is better than we thought it was going to be, among that NFC playoff race, like the teams currently entrenched in playoff spots in that conference, whose defenses are they better than? Who has a worse defense than the Lions among the teams that are currently slated to play in the NFC playoffs? The Rams, the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Saints and the Vikings and the Eagles. I think they're all better than them. So if the defense is what (laughs) we're excited about with that team, then why should we be excited about them? Man, you are really down on the Lions right now. I think I mean, you make some good points, though, for sure. Obviously, the NFC defenses have been a lot better than we thought. Obviously, the Saints are way better than we thought and. Um, so yeah, I mean, you make a good point, but I'm just saying this team is more balanced than I think a lot of people think, and and they could surprise down the stretch. Now, am I saying that they're going to win? No, I think that they have a chance to be up there in terms of, you know, they, they have a chance to be a contender down the stretch, but you're obviously not buying my argument. Danny, you realize that the team that would probably have to lose their playoff spot for the Lions to make the playoffs is your team, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to let you bring that reverse drinks nonsense in here. <laughs> like the Seahawks are better than the Lions. Stop doing this. I don't have. A, OK, you know me. I'm I'm the reverse jinx master, but I really don't I'm have aware a ton of, of that. faith. In, I don't have a ton of faith you in the Seahawks. You can't work honestly, for the just... ringer.com and call yourself the reverse jinx master. <laughs> that's fair. That's, fair. that's, real, that's very fair. That's a good way to start an inner office war. We'll, we'll, all right, we'll scrub that from the podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, buddy, I, I don't, I'm not going to let you do that to your team. I, the Lions are fine. They're kind of fun, <laughs> but I, I do not think that they are like the NFC team. I'm worried about making a run over the second half. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I will, I will I'll wait to see it. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. The other team that no one seems to be talking about that actually is slated to make the playoffs right now is the first place Tennessee Titans who have been outscored by eight points on the season, which is absolutely amazing. So four straight wins for the Titans, including some pretty ugly ones. Danny, why do you feel like it's time to start paying attention to the Titans? The funny thing is like, I think a couple weeks ago I started, I started writing for, for our, for our, like wild predictions of the second half post I wrote about how the Titans would miss the playoffs. But again, that was before the Deshaun Watson injury. So there's obviously a caveat there, but I don't know. They, I, for me, I was, when I looked up and saw they'd won four games in a row, I was like, wow, 
I think I, I definitely have been <clears throat> sort of sleeping on this team. Their defense has been playing a lot better than they did at the beginning of the years, particularly the secondary. They're starting to get some production out of uh, out of Morgan and Arakpo. And offensively, Maze, you love this. They're starting to get really creative on offense, obviously, with they're getting Dory Jackson involved on the offense. They do a lot of the run pass option stuff. We saw that this week. They, you know, use a lot of motion prior to the snap. I, I saw that the Bengals, I think it was uh, Pac-Man Jones or, or one of their guys was talking about how they're just a pain in the ass to defend because they do so many things. There's so many different formations and personnel groups. Um, we're finally starting to see, I think, some creativity. You know, obviously we've talked about the exotic smash mouth and all that, and, and it hasn't been, I think, as exotic as a lot of us wanted it to be until recently. And so it's cool to see that. Obviously, DeMarco Murray just never seems to slow down. Every I feel like we've been talking about the Derrick Henry breakout for like two years now, and and Murray just keeps holding him off and, and, and keeps producing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, they to me, I, I was the one sleeping on them. And so recently it's just like, wow, they're, they're, they've gotten my attention. Lombardi was a big proponent of uh, the Cowboys trading for DeMarco Murray again at the deadline. I thought that was... That was intriguing. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, I mean, I can understand where you'd want to do it. If there's a guy who you can just slot in that understands your offense and he, he's somebody that is seen as expendable because of the players on the roster that he's at re- with right now, I get it. Yeah, it's like, a, those it's are the types of guys you should look for. It would have been a risk for Tennessee. For sure. Yeah, because who's behind Henry? Nobody you feel good about giving the ball to. So, And then if you lose one of those guys and you only have one, you, you pretty much, your offensive identity crumbles. I think that's the issue there. Who do you guys like more in that division, the Jaguars or the Titans? And it might not even matter because the one of them one of them could get in in the wild card anyway. Which is nuts. I mean, the fact that one of those two teams is probably one of the favorites to get that second wild card is unbelievable. Or even the first wild card. Yeah. I wish we, I wish AFC? I wish that they would just just for the sake of the division. What if we just combined the teams? And we put Mariota, <laughs> just let Mariota play yeah, quarterback put Mariota for the Jags. on the Jaguars, and that way we could oh. ensure an AFC South team goes far. I just feel like we just need to pull our resources together. <laughs> I, I I still better feel better about the Jags, uh, Danny, just because I think they do. I like teams that do things well. Like, I know that sounds crazy, yeah. but like, I would rather have a team that does one or two things really well and ride with that. I mean, the Jags are the best defense in the league still when you consider their woes against the run, and they've been much better. So I still just feel like I'd ride with that Jaguars defense over everything else. But I agree with you. I like yeah. how they're trying to try to jumpstart the offense. And the fact that Adoree Jackson has four carries for 50 yards over the last two games and the way they've used him, that's interesting to me. Because I just don't think they have that explosive element on offense we thought they were going to. Getting Corey Davis may help a little bit, getting him back. He did not play well this week. But I just feel like they need to find some of that explosive element again on offense because they had it at times early in the season. They stepped back from it a little bit when Mariota got hurt as they tried to work him back in. So if they can find that, I do agree the defense is playing better than it was before. And then maybe you could start to talk yourselves into them being like a wild card team who'd be annoying in the first, you know, in the wild card round, in the divisional round, whatever. I'm not normally the guy that's like, you know, really worried about a quarterback running and getting hurt. But Mariota took a couple of hits yep. in that game that make you really they had him running about. the option and, yep, and, and, and and not like a read option no like the option and he got killed the whole reason that one run down I, was the left told, side lines, like- I was told that mike malarkey was hired 
because they the ownership in Tennessee was afraid of some of the protection schemes that Wisenhut was running that they were going to leave leave Mariota vulnerable to injury and you got to protect right. your franchise quarterback. Having said that, if that's the reason you got hired Malarkey, what is it you say you do here, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's fine because we saw how good they looked with Matt Castle. So it's not as if Marcus Mariota is important to what that team does. <laughs> oh man, you know who else is super underrated on that team though? This is totally changing the subject, but Kevin Byard on the safety back there, he's, he's been really, really, good. really well this year. And obviously, like the least celebrated kind of piece of that secondary coming into the season, you draft Adore in the first round. You give Logan Ryan yeah. and Jonathan Cyprian money, and then you have this guy who no one really cares about, and he's been the best player in the secondary, which, like, isn't that how it always is? The Eagles are the same yeah. way. Like, they gave Patrick Robinson, like, 60 bucks to come play corner, and he's been one of the best corners <laughs> in the league. Like, none of this makes yeah. sense whatsoever. It never does. Hey, Maze, so we were talking about, did you see the Mitch Trubisky nickname thing on Fox? Yes. I don't want to talk about it. No, we're going to talk about it. So Mitch Trubisky has a number of nicknames, including Mr. Biscuit. Yep. And uh, Pretty Boy Assassin. Money Making Mitch line. is on yep. there. I don't yep. believe anybody calls him any of these things because every every nickname in sports is just a truncated or elongated last name. Like True or yep. Biscuit. You know, that kind of thing. And yeah. so... We got to talking here at the ringer.com. We were just joking around about, you know, when we played sports, what our nicknames were. Obviously, oh, I know where this obviously is going. Obviously, mine was Clarky. <laughs> I mean, that's there's nothing you can do about that when I, I played ice hockey and, and football. Do you know what Danny Kelly's nickname was in sports? No. Danner. <laughs> oh my God, that's terrible. It's is it terrible or is it the best thing you've ever heard? <laughs> I, mean, it's, I guess it's I, I guess it's all right i i that's I, that is like the last thing i would go with danner jesus what was yours maze i was just maze i don't like there was nothing i mean it's hard to no make fun, a nickname man. out of my last name it's one syllable his, oddly like, enough Maisie's his name was weird. also danner for some reason i don't know i don't know why all right we we could do this forever just but we stop. gotta go danny gotta thank go. you for doing for joining us we'll see you on friday buddy all right sounds good guys and we are now welcomed by another one of our Ringer colleagues, staff writer Roger Shermer. How are you doing, Roger? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we got to get through these pretty quickly, but we are going to play a little good idea, bad idea with you. And we'll start with one that is near and dear to my heart. John Fox challenged a Benny Cunningham screen pass that looked like he was out on the one yard line. Could have been a touchdown, could have gone either way. But if he had done nothing, the Bears would have first and goal on the one. Instead, he challenges the play. The refs realized that Benny Cunningham was fumbling as he hit the pylon. And instead of getting first and goal on the one, the Bears give the ball to the Packers on the 20-yard line. So my question to you, Roger, me continuing to watch the John Fox era for the rest of the season, good idea or bad idea? I thought you were going to ask if the challenge was a good yeah, idea. Yeah, no, that's where I thought that was going. I was like, wow, this is, this is uh, pretty black. It was a horrendous idea. It's pretty black challenging and white. those plays, period, drives me nuts. Like, if it's first and goal on the one, don't challenge. Just don't do it. Like, why would you give away one of your challenges for a single yard? It just, so you have three points there automatically if you do nothing, and then instead you give the game away. It, like, I'm sorry. I, I just... I, I can't do this anymore, but uh, why, why don't you tell me why I should <laughs> so, or shouldn't do this, Roger? Well, well, I mean, it's a good idea because I think it's your job, right? 
Like that. I don't that know. There are your... 31 other teams, and no, the Bears no, are not no, going no, to make no. the playoffs. His team is to watch the teams that matter and talk about them here on the Ringer NFL show. <laughs> That's a good point. So, but it's a bad idea because so. The one thing that should be motivating you or could be motivating you to watch them is to see whether Mitch Trubisky is any good, hypothetically. But Yeah, that's really it. The the thing is, I, I think we've got a little bit of a I'm not saying he is the same human being as Jared Goff, but it's it's kind of a similar situation. The first year is not gonna be as predictive as the second year if if there's gonna be an entirely most likely new coach next year. You're gonna learn a lot more about who Mitch Trubisky is next year. Than you will watching him play and throw like eight passes a game under John Fox. So the future, even the future of the Bears is not really at stake right now. You know, save yourself some hours on Sundays. So this might be the move here might be I just go back and watch the game again, not live. And I can just watch the offensive plays individually. And I don't have to see the choices made by the coaching staff in between plays, possessions, anything. So I can keep tabs on on the biscuits progression here as a player, but I don't have <laughs> Mr. to see Mr. the rest of the Bears, Mr. Biscuit. Yeah, please address me formally. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the not... move. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, it, you you don't need to know anything more about John Fox. Every moment you spend thinking about him or looking at him is going to bring you sorrow. And football should it be about sorrow, right? Or is it supposed to be? I think it kind of is supposed to be, but yeah. I agree with you. I think it's a good comparison just because I want a coach that is going to tap into whatever creativity allows you to kind of help a young quarterback. And that's why, like, I understand why John Fox was there. I get that he's a good coach for like a bridge rebuilding team is as he? you try to is he? step toward competence. Yes. It's like that's I understand why the choice was made. I also understand that when you want to take the next step as an NFL franchise, he's probably not the coach you want. So that's where I'm sitting with all of this. So, so is why there, don't you why don't you skip the middleman and just never have him? Yeah, yeah. What's the point? So why don't, you kind why of don't bad make coach? the whole plane out of John Fox? <laughs> um, we, that's that ship has sailed. Unfortunately, we're on like year four of this. I, I there's no going back now. But I, we can control where we go from here. <laughs> I'd like it to be in a little bit of a different direction. Save your emotions. All right. Next up here, Roger, the Giants lost to the 49ers, giving Kyle Shanahan his first win and raising a whole new batch of questions about Ben Jet and Ben McAdoo's job. But with that win, the Browns may now have an insurmountable lead over the 49ers in the race to the number one pick. So actually winning that game, good idea or bad idea? You know, I thought this game was sort of like kind of like a Super Bowl. You know, this was the first game week 10 or later. Had a Super Bowl feel. Yep. <laughs> yeah, between, you know, it was at Levi's Stadium. They just played the Super it, True. But it was the first game uh, played week 10 or later with where the two teams had one win or fewer combined since the 1980s. You don't get a game with draft implications like this every week. This was a real huge opportunity for the 49ers. And I got to say they blew it. You know, the Giants have just beat them to the beat them to the what they needed which is that loss they the Giants let themselves get dominated and plus that helps the Giants get Ben McAdoo fired easily it was a huge missed opportunity for the 49ers when when a chance to lose to a one loss team comes at you you can't let it slip the Giants were embarrassing on Sunday like it's a level of poor play and just a type of poor play that 
is so clearly your players not giving a shit anymore that it was amazing. Like, Janor- the level of effort from Janoris Jenkins at points in that game is just like, why are we doing this? Like, what does, how does anyone benefit from these last seven Giants games? Like, I just don't understand anymore. I mean, opposing wide receivers seem to benefit. Yes, they really do. I mean, CJ Beathard benefited. CJ Beathard, who RIP the CJ Beathard era in San Francisco. Apparently, after the bye, it will be over. So, so he didn't even save his job with that. He didn't even save his job by, you know, throwing for over 300 yards and actually. I'm, look- I'm pretty sure throwing for over 300 yards doesn't matter when your team trades a second round pick for a quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the bar is a little higher than beating I, the Giants. I was looking through a bunch of those, like, you know, has has three seconds to throw, has two seconds to throw type things um, the other day and the splits. And CJ Beathard basically is dead last in every single split. But there's not a situation he thrives in. No, their <laughs> offense right now is essentially like Marquise Goodwin runs very fast and CJ Beathard throws the ball very far to Marquise yeah. Goodwin and it either works or it doesn't. Like that is where we are with the Giant, with the, with the 49ers. So I mean, that win doesn't even really like show any signs of like development or moving forward. The, the one thing is, I guess they don't need a top pick to draft a quarterback anymore, but I'm also not thrilled with the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class. So. Well, Grapple's their quarterback. I mean, they, yeah. they drafted C.J. Beathard, and I think that you see what you can get out of him. I think they went to him at the right time. But I also, if you can go get Garoppolo for a second-round pick, which isn't very much, all things considered, you do that, and you just say, C.J. Beathard is a third-round pick. He's our backup quarterback now. I feel like that series of choices is just fine. Yeah, in the end, the the difference between the first and you know third pick, which is probably where they'll end up being, is not that big a deal, but still, I I I really believe in taking tanking to its fullest extremes. And the 49ers had a golden opportunity. Sometimes you have to seize destiny and they let it slip. In the end, Roger, <laughs> the tanking is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. R- last one here, Roger. Jerry Jones got a letter from the NFL on Monday telling him to cease and desist with his efforts to block Roger Goodell's contract extension. So, Jerry Jones hiring a lawyer and attempting to oust the commissioner. Good idea or bad idea? I just think every single development that's had the word Roger Goodell in it from any side has been a bad idea for the past, like, four years of our lives. That's very fair. Every time I've heard the word Roger Goodell, whether it's, like, whether it's someone like Jerry Jones trying to, like, usurp him or something Roger Goodell actually did himself. I'm like, I don't care about this. I would like to watch football and and not think about the uh, multi-millionaires power struggle uh, to control the league. It's Jerry just, Jones is so mad that you just called him a multi-millionaire. He is yeah, furious that he's a billionaire. But, you know, Goodell is only making 50 million and a private and getting a private jet for lifetime for his family. Yeah, not yet. That like when I say that everything is a bad idea, that contract request is like one of my one of the worst ideas and one of the funniest things I've heard. Hey, I don't (laughs) want to get too political, but is there not a health care problem in this country if Roger Goodell, who makes 50 million dollars a year, is trying to secure lifetime health care for his family? Well, he knows that the players don't get health care. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like... So he's like, what if one of my players, what if one of my children becomes an NFL player and then they won't (laughs) get health care from that? 
I just don't understand how there aren't people that you could just give like a million dollars to and have them be the NFL commissioner. Like, for what reason does Roger Goodell command $50 million in any sort of bargaining? Did you see that the Walmart CEO makes $22 million a year? Yeah, no, no CEO makes very few CEOs make fifty million dollars a year, and it's it, not. Roger Goodell is bad at this. He's, he's bad actively at his job. Bad at this. My my proposal is that they just pay you know a significantly smaller sum to just the entire Ringer like company, and we'll <laughs> do the job the together for probably like how much money do you think it would take to get like all however many dozens of us. Like definitely not fifty million dollars. We're probably definitely talking like, not. No, <laughs> and I think together we would do a better job than Roger Goodell. I'm I'm also totally Roger, right. but I'm a better Roger. My name is spelled differently. On that note, thank you very much for doing this, buddy. I don't think we can edit any other way. Thanks for having me. All right, Kevin. Before we get out of here, we wanted to offer our lasting impressions from Week Ten. Lay it on me. What you got? Well, in three weeks. Miami Dolphins play again in primetime. <laughs> this will be... We, we just got off 19 days in which the Dolphins played in primetime three times. Robert, I'm calling and I've called for similar proposals when I'm going a step further. Time to be able to flex a Monday night game like a month in advance. This is my take. You, you Shouldn't just, we just be able to redo the schedule every Monday? Like they have, how hard is it to change the travel plans? One big thing I think is we should have more open schedule weeks. Um, like, like, you know, remember the college basketball thing where they would just like, it would like these two teams seem like they'd be good, a good pairing, like in like on like January 15th. And then they would just have them play. And like, I think that the NFL should do something like that sort of like, Two months out. However, that that's not this last. That's not the argument here. The argument here is that the NFL should be able to, if we can flex Sunday night, and they need to have still way more flexibility for that. They also need to be able to do Monday night too. I mean, there's really not that many people who travel or whatever. And also, like, if this is this is a TV sport. Think about. I mean, is it worth losing? It was a Thursday night football game that got you know. Uh, or excuse me, a Sunday night football game, last Sunday night's football game, got the uh, least amount of viewers for that time slot since they the, that package went to network television in 2006, back when Sean Payton took over, the, the Saints looked great. And <laughs> a much younger looking man. And, uh, and so, I mean, is it worth it for a couple thousand fans? If that, probably a couple hundred fans wouldn't be able to attend a Sunday night game as opposed to a Monday night game being displaced or the 10 million people potentially who tuned out because they saw the dolphins playing in primetime. That's all. I hear you, man. You, you don't have to convince me of this. I 100% agree. I, I would never want to watch the dolphins in primetime again. If it were up to me, is that your lasting impression? My lasting impression <laughs> is that I just want it to be. The dolphins are terrible. My lasting impression is very quick. And it's just that I really have enjoyed kind of the, utter insanity that's going on in the NFC right now. I just feel like that playoff race is shaping up to be so weird and, and interesting and just involving teams that are just these bizarre versions of themselves, the way we kicked off the show. I just feel like that six-team race and whatever six teams end up playing in that group is just a, the fascinating matchups that can result of that. I mean, the fact that the Rams might host a playoff game the fact that the Vikings look very potent with Case Keenum. We have 
this Seahawks team that is pretty much the same as all the other Seahawks teams. And that makes them exciting. And, and the saints are just like turning into a powerhouse in front of our eyes. I, I just feel like those games, like if we, if the four games on championship are on divi- the divisional round weekend in the NFC are in some order, saints, Rams and Vikings, uh, Seahawks. That's really fun to me. I know that's not what we thought that conference was going to be. It doesn't involve as many stars as we would have hoped. I just feel like that conference race is shaping up to be incredibly exciting. And I never would have thought that like three or four weeks ago. But just that these teams that have kind of started to emerge on that side interest me in a very profound way. So that is what I took away from the weekend, that things are getting weirder than ever. But I'm very interested in what's going to happen with them. Saints ground and pound. That's right. Saints ground and pound. The Case Keenum airing it out. All right, buddy. That's it for today. Check us out on Friday. We'll get everyone set for week 11. As always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys.